Well, good morning. Um, so today, we're going to talk about Gideon a little bit, but before we do that, uh, like Mark said, I, I'm Bo. I'm uh, about to be a junior at Southern Nazarene University studying pastoral ministry. And with that, I'm learning how to do stuff like this. I'm, I'm learning how to, uh, how to break apart scripture and then how to bring it to you guys. And, and so if I do bad today, like if I do a bad job this morning, there's a couple of people you can blame. First of all, you can blame my professors because obviously it's their fault. And then, but if you're looking for someone here, like if you don't want to write a letter to SNU or you don't want to write an email about how bad I did, you can talk to Mark because Mark and Aaron have a lot to do with it as well. And Mark, if you have anyone to answer to, it'd probably be my parents because, you know, they help send me to college. So if I do bad, then they're going to they're gonna be on you later. <laughs> but, but so today I want to start out uh, by reading some scripture. And so we're going to be in Hebrews 11. And we're going to be in verses 32 through 34. And, and what this is, 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 is we're continuing this series called the Hall of Flaws. And, and it's the Hall of Fame of the Old Testament figures in Hebrews 11. And we're focusing on their flaws. We're focusing on how they weren't always perfect, right? Because in Hebrews, we read, and, and it makes them seem like, like they're nothing but these faith warriors who do nothing wrong. But in reality, they messed up. You know, they, they fell short. And, and that's what we focus on in this series. And so read with me Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. So, so like I said, this series that we're in, it's all about faith, right? We talk about by faith Moses and by faith Abraham and, and, and by faith Sarah. You know, it's all about faith. And, and today we're going to learn about how by faith Gideon, Gideon was able to conquer kingdoms. He was able to administer justice and gain what was promised. And, and through faith, God can turn our flaws into strength. That's the best part about this, uh, this verse right there in verse 34. It says, whose weakness was turned to strength. Because through our faith, God can turn our weaknesses, God can turn our flaws into strengths. And, and, and we're going to read that with Gideon, and we've already seen that with multiple other Old Testament figures. And, and so before we can really get into Gideon's story, we have to know what faith is. Like, what is faith, and, and how do we lose it? You know, we're going to learn about how Gideon... He, he was up and down. His faith was like a roller coaster, just up and down with God. And, and how does that happen? And so let's learn what faith is first. And we don't have to go any further than Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1, says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So let's read that one more time. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So when we're, going, when we're doing something, that, that's just easy, right? We, we know what's going to happen. We can see what's going to happen. We don't really need faith, right? Because we know what's going to happen. We don't need God in that situation. And, and so sometimes when we're in those situations, it can feel like we have awesome faith. It can feel like, man, like, like I'm super faithful because I'm winning, right? Because I'm getting what, you know, what I see is what's going to happen. But, but when we really need faith is when God calls us to do something that, that we don't know if we can do. And we know we can't do it on our own. We need faith when God calls us out into faith into something that we can't do on our own. And, and so for me, me and my buddy Cameron, 
we, the other couple weeks ago maybe, we were working out with Joe Wilson. And, and Joe's right over here, and if you look at him, he's pretty strong, right? We could classify him as strong. And I like to think that I'm strong myself, um, not compared to Joe, though. Like, you know, you can't compare me and Joe in strength. It's like comparing me and Jerry Seinfeld and being funny. Like, there's just not much of a comparison there. And, and so me and Cameron, and full disclaimer, me and Cameron have been working out all summer. It's not like we just jumped into a workout with Joe, because that's just a bad idea. But me and Cameron been working out all summer, and then we say, you know what, let's go work out with Joe. And so we, we go work out with Joe, and we get started. And, I, you know, we're feeling kind of confident. We're not feeling too bad about it. And then we get started. And very first set, I get done with it, I go, and I can't do it. You know, I, I was done. I said, I am not going to be able to do this. And it was crazy. Joe just kept going. It looked like Joe wasn't even getting tired. And, and so I knew Joe could do it, but I knew I couldn't do it. And I think Cameron's in the same boat as me. Because about halfway through the workout, I, I go over to Cameron, and, and I'm like, Cameron, what do you think? Like, you want to do this again sometime? And, and he's just drenched in sweat, just sitting down. He goes, don't talk to me. I don't think I can think. And, and he was just tired, and I knew he was in the same boat as me. Like, we could not do this. And, and we, were, we had put our faith in Joe, that Joe knew what he was doing, because if something happened, he was going to have to help us out. And he did about half the time. You know, for about half of those sets, Joe had to help us lift that weight up because we could not do it. And, and sometimes in our lives, it might feel like that, right? We, maybe at home or with our families or at work, it can feel like we have a task and we just, we just don't know if we're going to be able to do it. We don't know if we're going to be able to complete it. And, and sometimes it can feel like that towards God because God's going to call us out into faith and, and whatever it is, man, it, it's going to be hard because we know we can't do it on our own. And we might be like, man, I'm not good enough. Like, I, I'm not qualified. I'm not prepared for this. Maybe you're looking for the wrong person, right? Maybe I'm not the right person for this. And, and this, that feeling, is the same feeling that Gideon has when we see him in Judges. So when we look at Gideon, we really get two different uh, sides of Gideon, whether we look in Hebrews, which is where we just read, or we look in Judges. The Hebrews Gideon, the side of Gideon we see in Hebrews is nothing but awesomeness, right? All we see is how, how faithful Gideon was, how, how he was able to go conquer kingdoms, he was able to administer justice, and you say, wow, he was awesome, and there was nothing wrong with him. But, but then when we read the full story in Judges, which is what we're about to do, it's a little bit of a different story. When we read Judges, you know, we see how Gideon, how his faith was up and down, how it wasn't always perfect, and, and it wasn't always good. And and so we're going to get that full picture of Gideon today, and we're going to look in Judges, and we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And starting in 6, what we find is the Israelites, the Israelites are in the middle of being oppressed by uh, another nation, okay? So the Midianites ha have taken over Israel, and the reason they've taken over Israel is because Israel has decided to turn their backs on God. They said, you know what, there's this false god, Baal, I think he's a real God. I think he's a real God. I don't know about, about your God, about Yahweh, right? And, and so God says, well, if you think you can do this, then, then be my guest and try. I, you know, I'll take a step back. I'm not going to help you guys, and we'll see what Baal can do. And sure enough, right after that happens, the Midianites take over. I mean, when has it ever gone well for Israel when, when God's taken a step back? And, and so Midianites take over. We have Israelites up in the caves hiding. We have Israelites underground hiding just so they don't get caught by the Midianites because they're going to steal all their stuff. You know, they're going to beat them up. They might kill them. And, 
And so this is going to happen to the Israelites. It, and this is where we find Gideon. We find Gideon in a place that really shows us where Israel is as a nation. And so let's read Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abzerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So we find Gideon in a wine press threshing wheat. And that might not sound too weird, because maybe you don't know what a wine press is, maybe you don't know what threshing wheat is. I didn't know the first time that I read this. But what it is, as a wine press back then, what it was was this deep underground place where you would go to stomp on grapes, and that grape juice would flow, and then you'd be able to go make wine with it. And so it was a deep underground, almost like a bunker. And, and so we find Gideon in this, in this wine press, in this bunker, and he's trying to thresh wheat. And, and to thresh wheat, what you need is you have to have wind, because you take the wheat, you throw it in the air, and then the wind will separate that chaff from the grain, and then you have the grain for, for whatever you need the wheat for. And so we find Gideon in a wine press trying to thresh this wheat. And I've never seen a wine press because I'm a good Nazarene. And I've never, never even looked at one. But I can assume that this wine press probably doesn't have good airflow. I can assume that since it's underground, air, it probably is hard for air to, to get in there. So when, when it does get in there, it's not much. And so Gideon, he's trying, to, he's trying to thresh this wheat, and it's just not working out. And he's trying to do something in a place where it's almost impossible to actually complete. And, and that's when God steps in. That's when God says, all right, that's enough. Like, let's, let's fix this. And so Gideon, he, he's done with, with threshing wheat on this specific day. And he, he gets ready to go home, and, and there's, a, there's an angel. And the angel says to Gideon, the angel says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And immediately, Gideon says, No, he's not. There's no way that the Lord is with me. I'm, I'm in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. I have buddies that are up in the mountains trying to hide. Like, if the Lord was with us, then why are the Midianites taking over? Why are they just, you know, destroying Israel if the Lord is really with us? And this angel says, well, that's why I'm here. You're going to save Israel. Like, God's going to use you to save Israel. And, and now Gideon, his, his attitude shifts a little bit. He goes from, from doubting God, doubting God's ability, to doubting his own ability. Because here's what, here's what Gideon says in response to that. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So, so imagine with me for a second, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. You got them all. The worst tribe, the weakest tribe is Manasseh. Okay, you got all the families that are in Manasseh. The, the worst family, the weakest family is Gideon's. You got all in Gideon's family. Gideon is the worst and the weakest one. So he is literally the weakest of the weakest of the weak in Israel. He is the, the last person, the actual last person you'd ever want to fight a war to, to, to lead Israel to victory, not Gideon. And, and that's what Gideon tells him. He's like, God, not me. You can't use me. Anybody else, pick anybody else and they'd be better than me. Like, you can't use me. And, and God says, no. Like, I'm going to use you. And I feel like sometimes we can read that and we'd be like, what an idiot. Like, Gideon is stupid. Because you got an angel, right, telling you what to do. Telling you, hey, you're it. You got God's picked you. And you say, no, no, he hasn't. He says, yeah, he has. He said, no, no, he hasn't. But, but what's happening there is the angel is talking to, to Gideon. He's speaking to Gideon. And, and I feel like sometimes 
he's speaking to him with words, and, and we have a book full of words that God uses to speak to us. But we can be in the same boat, you know, we, we can be reading scripture, we can be doing whatever, and then, and then we hear something, we hear something, you know, love your enemies. And you say, no, not me, right? I can't love my enemies. I have a hard time loving my friends. Like, there's no way that I can love my enemies. Like, you know, let Bob Goff do that. Let Kroger Shell love their enemies, not me. And, and so, so we might be like, you know, that's not my job. Like, I'm not prepared for that. I'm not called to that. And God's calling us. And, and Gideon, he's saying, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe, maybe you got somebody else. And I feel that way sometimes, too. Mark asked me to preach today. You know, he didn't ask me today. That'd be, that'd be chaos. But when Mark asked me to preach, you know, and, and I said yes, and I went home, and, and I was getting ready to, you know, to preach, and, and I started praying. I was like, God, are you sure it's me? Are you sure there's not another bow out there that's supposed to be a pastor? Like, like I don't think I'm supposed to be. And, and God says, no, no, you're it. And, and, then, and so then we can move back to Gideon, you know, Gideon saying, no, not me. And God says, yes, it's you. And this is where Gideon does have some faith, right? Like I said, it, it's up and down. And, and this is the part where Gideon's faith kind of goes back up. Gideon says, okay, God, okay. You, you know, you think it's me? Then, then we'll try it out. What do you want me to do? And, and God says, all right, first thing we're going to do is we're going to fix why this happened in the first place, right? Like, like the whole reason this is happening, Gideon, is because you guys decided to start worshiping Baal. You guys forgot about me. And so this is... This is what you get. And, and, and God said, but we're going to fix it. So what I want you to do is there's a statue of Baal in your town. Go to it. I want you to destroy it and rebuild an altar for me. And, and Gideon's like, ah, I don't know about that. Right? Like, people are going to be mad. Like, people like that statue. People don't want it destroyed. So if I destroy it, like, I'm going to get in trouble. Right? They, they might kill me. They might try to kill me. And he's like, but I'll do it. But on some conditions. God, right? He, he's conditionally obeying God. He's saying, okay, God, I'll do what you want, but I'm going to do it at night. That way, maybe less people see me. Maybe no one will even catch me. And then I'm going to have a couple buddies get in trouble by themselves. Nobody. And so Gideon brings a couple buddies with him. Gideon does it at night. He, he does. He destroys it. He, he builds a new altar. But the next day, everyone gets up, and they all know it's Gideon. They say, Gideon destroyed, Gideon destroyed the statue of Baal, and, and they're ready to kill him. They say, let, let's kill him. Like, he destroyed our God. And, and then Gideon's dad, who actually was the one that owned that statue of Baal, he's the one who that statue of Baal belonged to, he, he, he chimes in. He says, whoa, whoa, wait. Look, so you guys think Gideon is, a, is this awesome God. So why does he need you to fight for him? Like, if this God can do this, then why, why does he need you to fight for him? So you guys just sit back and, and let Baal strike Gideon down. Like, like, if Baal's a real God, he'll strike Gideon down right now for destroying this altar. And nothing happens to Gideon, because Baal's not real. And, and so, so Gideon's free to go. Gideon's good. And, and you might think now that maybe Gideon's like, okay, cool. Like, like I'm good to go. Like, God saved me from something that most people would have died. Most people would have gotten killed in that situation. And, and, and God saved Gideon. But that's not what Gideon does. You know, Gideon's getting ready to go, and, and he, he has a fleece, and he lays it out. And he starts praying and says, God, I got this fleece here. Now, if you're really, if you're, if you're really going to save us, if you're really going to use me to save us, and you want me to do it, can you make this fleece wet and make the ground around it dry? And, and God says, okay, I can do that. And so he goes to sleep, he wakes up, and sure enough, the next day that fleece is wet and the ground around it is dry. 
And then Gideon goes, oh, uh, okay, cool, th- thanks. And he says, but God, that could have been a fluke. Like, that could have just happened. Like, maybe you didn't do that. So, so I tell you what, let's redo it, but the opposite. Let's make the fleece dry and the ground around it wet, right? Because only you could do that. And God says, okay, I'll do that. So Gideon wakes up the next day, and, and there it is. Fleece is dry, the ground around it is wet. And, and so what this shows us, you know, what we can learn from, from this story about the fleece is that God is patient with those that he calls. God calls you, he's going to be patient with you, and he's going to help lead you until you can trust. I mean, Gideon, time and time again, he, he messes up, he, he, he falls out of faith, and, and he doesn't trust God, and every time God's right there, he says, what do you need? You know, do you need a fleece uh, to be wet and the ground around it dry, or do you need the opposite? Like, let's do it, right? Because God is patient with those that he calls, and he calls each and every one of us. And, and so now, Gideon, man, he's pumped up. He's ready to go. He says, all right, you know, like, I know God's on my side now. I know that we've got this. And what contributed to that feeling is that the next day he gets up, and he's got 32,000 troops. So he's getting ready to go to war. He's got 32,000 troops with him. He goes, okay, I got this. Like, I got this. And, and so they get ready to go to war, and, and then God stops him and says, whoa, Gideon, whoa. Listen, I know you, and, and I know your heart, and I know all these guys' hearts. If you win with 32,000 troops, you're going to think it was all because of you, and you're not going to give me any of the glory. And he says, no, God, like, I'm not going to do that. I promise, I promise. And, and God says, no, that's what you're going to do. So let's fix that. He says, tell everyone who's scared. If they're scared, they don't want to go to war, tell them to raise their hand. And, and Gideon says, dang it, okay. And so he says, hey, guys, if you're scared, raise your hand. 22,000 people raise their hand. And, and then Gideon probably says, okay, God, can we use the scaredy catch, right? Like, send 10,000 away. Let me keep 22,000, and, and we'll be good. And God says, no, no, send the scared ones home. So, so 22,000 troops go. So now Gideon, uh, he's, probably feeling, he's probably feeling a little bit more nervous, but, but he's still got it, right? He's got 10,000 troops left, and, and he's still good. And so he's like, all right, guys, let's go. And, and they're going, they're marching, and God stops and says, whoa, 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 Gideon, whoa, whoa. Listen, I know you. I know your heart. I know all these guys' hearts. If you win with 10,000 troops, you're going to think it was all because of you. You're going to think it was because you guys are so awesome, and you're not going to give me any of the glory. So what we're going to do is this. There, there's a river down there. I want you to go to that river. Have everyone take a drink, right? Everyone probably needs a water break. Have them take a drink. And, and then they're going to drink water in two different ways. Some people are going to drink it like a dog. They're just going to use their mouth. And then other people are going are to scoop the water up in their hand and then bring it to their mouth. And, and so Gideon does it. He tells them to go take a drink. And 9,700 troops drink water like a dog. 300 troops drink water with their hands. Can you guess which one God uses? It's not the dogs, right? God says, all right, send them home. And Gideon says, dang it, okay, go home. So now Gideon's got 300 troops. He's got 1% of what he started with. Gideon started with 32,000 troops. Now he's got 300. He's got 1% of what he had, and I'm sure he's running low on faith right now. I'm sure he's like, man, I I don't know if I can do it, right? Like, I could have done it with 32,000, but I don't know if I can with 300 because they're going against the entire Midianite army. And and so he's worried. He's scared. And and I don't really blame him, right? I don't blame him. Like, God took away 99% of his army and told him to go fight a war. How would you feel if God was like, hey, go give to the poor, go give to the needy, and then he took away 99% of your money and said, now go do it, right? He'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. 
you know? And, and it might not be because, you know, we don't want to give that 1% away, but it's because we're running low on faith. We're saying, God, you just took away everything I had. How do I trust that, that I'm going to be okay? How do I trust that this is going to work out? But, but with whatever little faith we have, this is what I want you guys to know today, that it doesn't matter how much faith you have, whatever little amount you have, what matters is who you put that in. What matters is who you put that faith in. Because I promise you this, you could give 1% of your faith to God, just 1%, and he could do infinitely more than anybody or anything else can do with 100% of your faith. You, you give the, the false god Baal 100% of your faith, absolutely nothing's going to happen. I mean, your life isn't going to be any different than it was. You give 1% of your faith to God, your whole life will change forever. It'll change forever. And, and maybe today for you, you feel like that. You feel like God's taken everything from you. You feel like God has just taken everything and all you have is a little bit. But, but I promise you, you give that little bit to God, amazing things will happen. And, and we can see that all throughout Scripture. We can see a little bit of faith being given to God and amazing things happen all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, we can see it with Gideon and what happens with that story. And then we can move into the New Testament. And even there with Jesus, we see Jesus and the disciples in Matthew 14, and we can be in Matthew 14, verses 22, and Jesus and the disciples, they just got done feeding the 5,000. So they just got done feeding 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. And then Jesus stays. He's like, you know what? I need a little me time. I just got done feeding all these people, so I'm going to take a little me time. You guys go out on the water, and I'll catch up with you. And so they go. Jesus is on a mountain, and he's looking out on the water. And he sees the disciples' boat, and there's a storm in the middle of it. And so he says, well, better go save them. So he goes, and he's walking on the water like Jesus does. And he walks over to the boat, and he's like, what's up, guys? And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, like, it's me, Jesus. He says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And to that, we have Peter. Peter is a disciple. He's kind of stupid. Uh, he's got a big mouth. And, and Peter says, oh, yeah, is it you, Jesus? Like, is it really you? Because if it is, you'll have me walk out on the water with you. Like, if you're really Jesus, then you can have me walk out on the water with you. And, and just like we can see God in, in the Old Testament with Gideon, just as we can see him say, okay, I'll show you the sign. Okay, you want, you want this fleece wet and the ground dry? You want the fleece dry and the ground wet? I'll do it. Just like we see that, we see Jesus saying, come. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Like, let's do it. And, and Peter says, oh, you actually want me to do that? And, and man, Peter's a little scared, but, but he does it, right? Middle of the storm. He, he takes a step out into the water, and he's walking on water. And, and he's going, and he's looking at Jesus. Jesus says, just keep your eyes on me, Peter. Everything will be all right. And Peter says, but Jesus, there's a storm behind me. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, how are we going to get out of this? And Jesus says, just keep your eyes on me, and you'll make it through the storm. Like, like I will make sure that you're okay. And, and, and Peter, he, he's not sure. He, he turns around, he says, but look at the storm, and he falls in the water. You know, he took his eyes off Jesus, he fell in the water, and it says immediately Jesus is there to pick him up, takes him to the boat, and, and I imagine uh, Jesus puts his arm around Peter, says, Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You of little faith, why do you doubt? And, and sometimes that might sound almost like demeaning. It, it might sound like Jesus is saying, like, like, like you idiot." Why are you doubting me? But, but that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, 
Peter, you have such little faith in me. Like You don't have very much faith in me. But, but even with that little bit of faith, you took that step out in the water. And what happened? You were walking on water. You took what little faith you had, you gave it to me, and you're walking on water. Gideon takes what little faith he has and what little army he has, he gives it to God, and God helps him win the war. So, so wherever you are today, in whatever situation you're in, just, just know that, that, that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we don't lose sight of Jesus, we'll be okay. You know, because maybe for some of us, we, we, we've decided to accept that call. We've said, you know what? I'm going to put what faith I have in Jesus. I am. I'm going to put it all out there. And, and so we're walking on water, right? We, we've got 300 troops with us. We're going to war. And, and we're facing that army, or, or we're in the middle of that storm, and we're saying, Jesus, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. And, and what does Jesus say? And, and what can we read in Hebrews 12? It says, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when we do that, he'll sustain us. He'll help us win the war. He'll, he'll help us walk on water and, and not fall. And, and maybe for some of us, you know, we, we, we feel unqualified, we feel unworthy, and we feel like we're not good enough. And we just have to know that, that God's call in our life, it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. It's going to take us out of that wine press. It's going to take us out into the water. And when it does, when he does that, we have to be able to put what little faith we have in him. Because without God, we're not going to win that war. Without Jesus, we are not going to be able to walk on water. And, and maybe some of us, we're, we're still in the wine press. Maybe some of us, we're still in that boat. And we're saying, you know, I have a little bit of faith, but, but you've already taken everything from me. I don't know what more I can give you because I don't have much to give. All I have is just a little bit. And I don't know if I want to give it to you. And God says, okay, that's all right. God's patient with those that he calls. He calls you, and you're not sure. God says, all right, like I will wait with you, and I'll be with you through your unfaithfulness, and I'll be with you, and I will help you to trust. And, and so as we close this morning, I, I want to talk about one more thing. You know, sometimes we, when we do accept that call, it might be like, man, like, like what, what am I doing? Like, is this worth anything? Like, do I have anything worth doing? Does this even matter in the world? And, and it does. It does. Because every calling that God has on our lives is for, is for the purpose of bringing heaven to earth. God calls us all to bring heaven to earth today, and we can only do that through faith in him. We can only do that by having faith that God will use us and use our stories and, and use our experiences and use our lives to bring heaven to earth and, and, and to transform the world around us and to bring justice to our world. That's what we're called to do. We're called to bring heaven to earth. And, and so as we're singing this last song, just think about where you are. Are you in the wine press? You still can't just seem to bring yourself to give that faith to God? Or, or maybe you're scared of the storm that's around you and you're trying your hardest to put all your faith in God. Well, wherever you are today and, and whatever situation you're in, just know that Jesus is right there with you. Are you in the wine press? Jesus is there. Are you out on the water? Jesus is there. Are you getting ready to go fight a war? Jesus is there. Wherever you are, Jesus is right there with you. And he's saying one thing. He's saying, keep your eyes on me. He's saying, don't lose sight of me because I will sustain you. I will help you get through that. And, and that's what we're called to do, to fix our eyes 